Hey everybody, it is episode 53 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is Chris coming at you from Rogue Running in Austin, Texas. Steve is with me as usual. Steve, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. I'm so excited, Chris. This is a good one. I'm excited too. I almost wish we had done this as the first of our GOAT series, but this is episode two in the GOAT series. We also did episode 47 talking about the greatest all time of all time male distance runner. And today we're going to be talking about the greatest of all time female distance runner. And these stories aren't as well told, Steve, because damn men write history books too often. <laughs> and as a result, some of these women have been overlooked, at least in terms of their contributions to running broadly. And so we're going to educate some folks on some badass female distance runners the greatest four that we believe of all time and we'll pick one of those and i'm excited about that well the, and the other thing too that's kind of crazy it's like I, I knew a lot about the men we were talking about but i didn't know as much about these women and that's just a damn shame so i'm glad we're talking about it yeah i, I think that um you know, I grew up in this sport, so I spend a lot of time, a lot of these women that we're going to be talking about, actually the the two that we're going to be talking about that came from the 70s, 80s, and, and the 70s and 80s, um, two Norwegian women we're going to talk about, I knew who they were, probably even better, knew their stats even better than I knew the two others, but um, but it's so easy to forget. And we while we keep telling the legend stories of Bill Rogers and Frank Shorter, uh, Pavo Nurmi and Emil Zadopek, and other great male runners, we we don't talk about what the women were doing. And frankly, Chris, I mean, it's pretty obvious that if I had to pick my greatest of all time and I didn't differentiate between men and women, I think that whoever we decide is our greatest of all time today, if I had to differentiate, I'm probably going to put the female as the literally the greatest of all time. Yeah. Because <laughs> so they are step-by-step, step, for sure, it equals to them. Some unbelievable stats we're going to cover on these ladies today so we're super excited to tell their stories we'll talk a little bit about their resumes of course as well as about some of their training elements like we've talked about with the men before we get there as we always do we're talking running current events and there was a big one that you got to witness in person steve this past weekend at the california international marathon it was the u.s marathon championships and let's start on the women's side because sarah hall put on an absolute clinic there to win that race in 228 just five weeks after setting a personal best of 227 at the Frankfurt Marathon. I remember you and I talked a little bit about uh, before about Sarah saying what the hell is she doing coming back after five weeks to do this and she pretty much made me look like a silly <laughs> silly little <laughs> made us boy. Both look silly. And, I mean she was gone essentially from the gun never looked back completely dominated the field and one going away in 228, just about a minute slower than she ran only five weeks ago. So you saw Sarah out there. Talk about her performance. Race was over at mile five. I was sitting at the mile five marker before they turned off onto Fair Oaks at the California International Marathon, and they run on Fair Oaks Boulevard for seems like sweet Jesus 100 years. Um, I, it was just absolutely phenomenally amazing to see her go by. She looked so easy and so relaxed. And uh, I think at that point in time, at five miles, she was maybe 20 seconds, maybe 30 seconds up. It felt like a minute or more. Um, but they, she was just gone, and there was nothing anybody else could do about it. And no one even got a, at a shot at her. Even 
the girls who went second and third, I thought they ran incredibly great races. They ran smart races, um, but they weren't. They had no chance to catch Sarah on that day. No chance at all. Well, and of course, I mean, I guess it's worth mentioning the field wasn't super deep necessarily, but the thing it wasn't super fast. It was very pretty deep. Oh, sorry, you're right. Yeah. So it wasn't deep at the very front. Correct. But very deep. I mean, we had just a crazy number of women actually break the qualifying standards to get to the Olympic trials in 2020. I think we had 55 or so women actually qualify. Now I'm looking at the numbers now. It's yeah, 55. And I think you'll see 55 more next year. <laughs> I mean, it was <coughs> unbelievable. So seriously deep. And, but Sarah wasn't, that didn't have a Kellen Taylor or a Stephanie Bruce or somebody there to to push her that was kind of already in that same up sub two thirty realm, but still the guts she showed to just go off the front with theoretically tired legs from Frankfurt is unbelievable. I kind of it's kind of interesting now just looking at her career as somebody who's always been near the front at a lot of different levels from the steeplechase when she yep. dabbled on the track yep. to she's run some 5Ks and 10Ks on the track. She's done a ton of, of U.S. road racing. She's actually won the U.S. one-mile road race and now the U.S. one-mile or U.S. marathon championships. So she's had incredible range, always been kind of at or near the top, but never quite the bride maybe as often as she would have liked to have been never been relevant on an Olympic or world championship level. Where do you put her career? I mean, she's still doing it, obviously, and going at it, but she's been around for a while, just as long as her husband, Ryan Hall, who's now retired. How do you stack up Sarah? I kind of think of her like almost like a journeyman in or journeywoman in like baseball or something. One of these players who's always kind of contributing to their team, but never maybe the kind of perennial all-star where do you put sarah's career in the midst of u.s distance running well i mean i think it, she's still riding it i think she had the best 2000 her her best year ever is, is this year 2017 i mean you think what that that how much she has going on in her life too to be able to training at this level and racing at this level it's pretty amazing i think you know the sarah hall story will be looks like will be finished or not finished that's too strong a word more I'm looking forward to see what happens in 1819 and 2020, especially as it looks like she's going to be making a stab at the Olympic trials in the marathon. And, you know, Chris, we've we've been bandying names about about who could be making an Olympic team. It's very early now to make those predictions. But what we saw in the last in the last five weeks from Sarah Hall has to put her in the conversation, don't you think? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, you know, she's still a 227 marathoner. She's not. I don't think she can compete with the Jordan Hesse's and the Amy Hastings Craig and the Molly Huddles. But Amy hasn't run that much faster than she world. has. Amy's two twenty six. She hasn't. She hasn't. But she got she got a medal at a at a major she championship. She got a medal at a major championship, and she did that running faster than Sarah has run at a major championship. So I just don't see Sarah ever being that th that threat. But See, I think that's the story that's going to change over the next couple of years. Again, I'm not sure she can. I think it's going to be the one of the hardest Olympic teams to make that marathon team on the women's side. And I think Sarah 
I think that's what they're doing is they're trying to get a plan together to give her a chance to do that. I think if she goes under, let's just say this, if she goes under 225 in another major marathon, if she chooses to run a super fast marathon, let's say Chicago next year or something like that, and she ran 225, would you then put her in that yeah, conversation? Sure, sure. So I think that that's what they're working. I, I can't conceive of any other reason why they ran two marathons in five weeks unless there's well, some the other kind reason of, would be the $20,000 payday. That's true. Yes. Right. That's true. She did walk home with a little bit of money, which is good. What's Ryan doing for a living now? Is he is he, he is is he, uh, a personal Sarah. trainer? He's he a personal coaching trainer? a high school team. He's coaching. Uh -huh. I, I don't know if it's high school, middle school or high school. One of the teams that his now. But she adopted, didn't have to run it that way. Now to pick adopted up a daughter runs on. So Ryan's coaching. Right. Her and this and you know teenagers essentially. No, she didn't. She didn't have to go out like she did. She could have sat back and tried to see how the field played out. So I, look, mad props to her. Absolutely, for her, for her guts and for the willingness to come out there and put it out there, come back out and put it out there. But I don't necessarily see her yet as a threat to make an Olympic team in the marathon. I want to see a two twenty four, two twenty five, probably first. And I, I don't know if she's going to see that completely. She, she's going to show that. But I don't we'll know that see. she will either. But it seems to me that 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 what we're seeing is in a. <coughs> As a push and an attempt to do that. Yeah, but I mean, you know, you're, I think you're right. She has had her best year. Marathon PR. She won the 10-miler road championships in or earlier this year against a pretty legitimate field there. So maybe maybe you're getting the best Sarah now. And now I do think she needs to focus, right? If she's going to drop her marathon time by three minutes, she needs to pick one and focus. Versus doing two, <laughs> two in five <laughs> weeks, but yeah. we'll see. We'll see. I'm rooting for her, though. To be clear, yes, I'm a Sarah Hall fan. She's an unsung hero, I think, in our sport. Has always played second fiddle to her husband and to others who, you know, Shalanes, the Shalanes of the world, and the Desis of the world, and the Caras of the world, who've had a better resume. So I would love for her to to have her shot. So we'll see. Rounding out the podium on the women's side was Roberta Groner, who just finished just over two minutes behind Sarah and then Carrie Dimoff just over 15 seconds or so back of of second place in the 230s as well so still a legitimately deep kind of front field and then of course you had 55 women finish under 245 to get their qualifiers for 2020 hats off to CIM Amazing. They do a great job. Attracting these athletes. I know if you run under 255, I believe it was this year, you got a free entry for the for the women. And there was money on the line, 500 bucks if you qualified under the B standard and 1500 bucks if you qualified under the A standard of 237. So hats off to CIM for developing this sort of sub-elite level of our sport and giving opportunities for those women to excel. And, you know, they're, they're making a great argument for a lot of people to go. You know, Chris, we had a group go out there. My Team Rogue was our main race this year. and We had really, really good results, partly because we did a good job of getting them ready, but also partly because that course is fast. The weather is perennially really good. And, um, and I think what's really cool is CIM knows their strengths, and they're playing to them. Um, and that's a really, really cool way to roll. They are never going to compete with the marathon majors. In the United States, they're not going to compete with – you know the Houston's and the Chicago's and the and the and the Boston's and the New York's, but they're they're running a second tier marathon 
in my opinion, at the they they're actually in their on in their own category as a second tier marathon, and only second tier because we don't have the excitement of watching the very best in the world lining up on that starting line. And it doesn't seem like they have any interest in going after that. And I hope they don't. I hope they put their money in the places where it really belongs, at least for what they're doing, which is developmental of our the development of the marathon on the United States level. And I think they're doing a great job of that. Yeah, they are. And next year. In 2018 is the U.S. Marathon Championships again. I suspect the field will be maybe even deeper as you start to get closer to 2020. And if you're a female listening to this who wants to go for the trials, we definitely recommend checking out CIA. We're going back next year, and I'm so. taking a big crew back next year. They're, half of them are registered already. So yeah, <laughs> it's, our, it's, it's awesome. There's a lot of great energy there. They on do a great job. On the women's side, we also have to give a shout-out to Sarah Pease, former road. PZ. Rogue AC athlete. She finished 16th and ran a 2.38. Not what she wanted. I know she wanted to get that A standard, but really solid result for a steeplechaser who who ran just her second marathon. Yeah, and she's, you know, she's, we talked before her race, um, and she was really ready for it. She was very, very confident, um, but she didn't feel good at all, it seemed like, in the race. She said she felt and to pull out a to run a PR like that on a day when you don't feel good um, is bodes really well for Sarah going into her next races. I know she's going to concentrate this spring on the on the track, but um, it, it, I'm excited to see Sarah when she decides to get back after it one more time in the marathon. Congrats to Sarah. Okay, so let's switch over to the women's side or to the men's side. Sorry, Tim Ritchie won. From the Saucony group that we talked about, formerly led, BAA, led by yep. Tim Bro, and and he won, sort of in a a little bit more of a come from behind fashion. Parker Stenson of Austin, local Austin fame, ran with Cedar Park on their cross country team, then went to the University of Oregon, is now graduated from there. He went out in 208 pace, <laughs> and basically had a massive gap coming through halfway. Ultimately, blew up. And had I know had some real s- cramping issues, side stitch issues, stuff like that. Still finished in a 218 to get his standard. So I'm still glad he got that B standard for the men. But he kind of fell apart, allowed Tim Ritchie to come to the front. He was, had a more patient race. And Tim basically ran away from the other guys in the final 5K or so. How did you see that? I mean, it was crazy. It, 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 Parker was further ahead of the men's field than Sarah was the women's field <laughs> when I saw them at five miles. Um, you know, and it was super cool to see him. I've followed his career since he was in high school. Um, and uh, it was a huge gutsy move. Some people argued. I, I was talking with some of our friends, some of the people who ran the race afterwards, and they were like, isn't that stupid to make a move like that? And, you know, I mean... I wouldn't recommend it in your first marathon to necessarily go after it like that, but I would recommend it in a second or a third marathon. Um, Parker probably felt really confident in his training, but he had never meet the, met the beast of a marathon yet, and uh, and he it got the better of him. But I, I applaud him for his courage. I do um, too. If he had pulled it off, people we'd be talking a completely different story. I think people are still talking about Parker now, and though that's a guy who's what he if he gets it right, he's going to really get it right, and. Uh, you know, I hope he does. He's a he's he's a super deceptive runner. Anybody that's watching him run, while well, we were sitting there, and the people who were watching viewing it with me said, "There's no way that guy's going to sustain that rhythm because he runs really hard. It looks like he's running really hard all the time. But it's just the way he runs. 
when he was in college at at uh, at Oregon. I remember watching him in five Ks, and everybody else is running so smooth. You think he's going to get dropped at any minute, and he never gets dropped. He stays with it. So. Um, huge props to him and uh, shout out to Tyler McCandless who uh, our our our, uh, our guest last week. He, if you guys heard him, he was talking about Tyler. How he thought he was really really ready. Uh, I don't remember exactly the time. He, he said that he thought he would run two thirteen, two fourteen, get a PR, and he ran two twelve, twenty eight. So beat even huge his coaches. Super production. awesome to see Steve get it right and Tyler to have a great day and to and to break out and show that all that hard work and staying with it even through different coaches and, and believing in your system and believing in your coach and believing in the plan, as Steve talked about in our last episode. Um, uh, it's so cool to be able to say, wow, look, he got it. they all got it right. And that's great for Steve. His group is pretty small and not and, and doesn't get a lot of recognition as a coach. But for those listeners who listened last week, they know that there's definitely there's some, there's something really great there going on. Something definitely great there. So congrats to Tyler on second. Kia Dandina got third also in a PR for him. So everybody who wanted to run fast and was prepared to run fast pretty much ran fast at CIM. We also have to give a shout-out to our team, Rogue Athletes, my teammates, your athletes, who absolutely crushed it. <laughs> we had James Greenham, our, our fastest team Rogue athlete, run a 242 to get a PR. Albert Marino right behind him in 243, also a big PR by, I believe, eight minutes for him bunch of 245s also prs for ashish and jim mm -hmm. and and just our two athletes day. our two athletes are uh, our two female athletes yes kristen yes. tucker 254 as well as kate barrett they were six seconds apart right right six yeah, seconds apart right. the dueling coaches we were battling out there <laughs> yes. through the, through our through our athletes chris got the win there <laughs> slightly so anyway really cool and then all the way back to Rebecca and Ryan and the whole team, everybody, it seemed, who wanted to have a big result, had a big result. We did have a couple of folks that didn't quite get what they wanted for because of physical issues. One taken off on a stretcher. If you got to go, that's one. That's the way. That's the way <laughs> so, I like him to go. <laughs> so hats off to Roger Sutton for leaving it literally all on the course <laughs> yeah. to the point where he had to get stretchered off. Fortunately, he is okay. He was okay but, right away. He was drinking beers with us. But he, yeah. But he definitely. Gave everything you had, which is which is what we always see, frankly, from Roger. So not unexpected. But kudos to everybody there. I know there were also a lot of other Austin runners who were there who had good days. When the weather's good, if you're well prepared, you will run well. Yeah, I agree. It's uh, I posted on my Facebook page. You know, you've got to you got to do the work. You got to believe in your coach, and uh, and you got to get a little lucky. You know, and and all those things played out, but. The athletes went through their hardest training cycle that I've ever written, one that made me nervous a few times uh, during it to wonder if, you know, CIM is so late in the cycle. It feel, people who train over the summer, it just feels hard to stay focused through that holiday, you know, getting through that Thanksgiving, just like I feel about Houston folks who have to get through Thanksgiving and, and, and Christmas and New Year's. It makes it tough, but it paid off. And um, again, CIM, Sacramento, California treated us well and CIM treated us well. We were really, really happy. And, you know, I've been coaching for a long time, Chris, and I've never had race results like I did. And at first I was just like, oh, well, you get lucky sometimes, hmm. and as the famous late, great Tom Petty says. But um, I truly think that we've got a little something going on with Team Rogue now. We've got some magic on that team, and it really feels like a team. And um, I'm really excited for races to come. So 
Yes, and also shout out to a few of my other athletes, Michelle and Erica, who also PR'd a little bit further back in the pack, but still giving everything. And then I had a few that didn't quite get what they wanted, but everybody I know gave everything they had on the day, and that's all you can ask. Next current event, quickly, before we dive into our GOAT series or discussion on the women, Boston. The field is starting to come together. I like the way Boston kind of trickles out these names as as the as the time gets a little bit closer to race day and so we've gotten the first elites officially confirmed for Boston in April Joffrey Karui and Edna Kiplagat defending champions will be back which was I guess expected but good to see that London well, maybe we'd like to see Karui in London yeah but for the sake of Boston yeah. it's good to have it's him it's good there. for that for Boston yeah. but I do think um, I would have loved to have seen him. Uh, At some point, Kareem will have to face face the marathon goat in Kipchoge. We'll see. Yes, he will. We'll see when yes. that will come. Yeah. But Kiplagat will make that a field, a good field for hopefully the likes of Shalane and Amali Huddle and maybe Jordan Assay in, in April on the women's side. That should be really interesting. So we'll see how that Boston field comes together. Of course, we'll be bringing you all of our previews and talks on that as we go. One other thing about Boston that I have to give a mention to and a shout out for is the Boston documentary that was put together and premiered at Boston this this year in 2017 is now out on iTunes. So you can buy it for 10 bucks. You can own it for 10 bucks and it's a must watch. It goes through a lot of the history of Boston that we t- some of that we talked about on our episodes before it was released, but it also talks about the 2013 bombing and the 2014 aftermath with Meb and Shalane that following year. I saw it in a theater here in a special showing and was crying through most of it because it's just so meaningful and it really gives you the sense for what Boston represents to our running world. So I highly recommend anybody who hasn't seen that documentary to go check it out on iTunes. You can buy it on your laptop. You can stream it on Apple TV. And you will not be disappointed. It will be ten bucks well spent. Have you seen that yet, Steve? Still haven't. So okay. I have to. Maybe that's what Check I'll be doing out. this weekend. Check it out. I have to go buy it. I'm am a I'm I'm an easy crier on emotional movies, so I'll probably need to go yeah. take Prepare out some your, stock with Kleenex. Kleenex. <laughs> but check it out. I'm gonna. Uh, I know I'll be buying it and watching it again, just because I feel like there's it's so dense in terms of the storytelling that I want to see it again to pick up some things maybe that I didn't latch on to as well the first time. So check that out. And, of course, as the Boston field comes together, particularly on the American side, we'll be talking about it. All right, let's talk goats. Now, goat women, again, as we said at the top, the stories aren't as well told. So we're hoping to do them justice here today. In the next hour or so, we're going to be talking about four women, just like we talked about four men. And then picking as we go as to which one we think is the greatest of all time. I think both of us, Steve, we were surprised at some of the things we learned. I don't think either of us knew who might be the GOAT in our own minds when we went into our research. But as we started digging into it, we've got, we found some surprises. So it's going to be fun to share those. We're going to start with a Norwegian athlete who really kind of came into her own in the 70s, Greta Weitz. That last name is spelled W-A-I-T-Z for those that want to look her up, but it's pronounced Weitz. Norwegian 
female Greta Weitz. Her history from a running resume standpoint is almost unbelievable (laughs) (laughs) when you start breaking it down. She started having success at the junior level at the 1500 meters. She held the junior record, your junior European record for the 1500 meters made her first Olympic team in 72 in Munich at the, the ripe old age of 19 years old was when she became an Olympian at the 1500 also competed in the Olympics at the 76 Olympics in the 15. And I didn't realize this at the time, Steve, but women couldn't do more. They didn't have distances longer than the 1500 meters until 1984. I mean, I knew that was the first marathon, but literally there was no other events longer than the 1500. No, they went to the 3K. Women did run the 3K. They didn't run the 5K. So the 3K was a more important race distance for Okay, so they had the 3K, but nothing more than that. Nothing more than that. Absolutely. Which is silly, but whatever. That's the way it is. So anyway. They didn't even put the 10,000 in the world championships until 1987. (laughs) 1980s after the Olympics, they didn't even let the women run the 10,000 until 87. It's crazy. So her resume started there. She didn't have as much success at the global championship level at the 15, but at one point she did hold hold the the record for the 3K world record. She also won gold in the IWF World Cup, which and the 3K, which was a precursor to the uh, world championships. So she's had some success at that. World, world championship caliber level in the 3K on the track. She's also run pretty ridiculous resume at World Cross, five-time World Cross champion. She's also got a couple of bronze to go with those five World Cross medals. And then her biggest success came, obviously, at the marathon. Some people may know of her success at New York. She won New York nine times in a row. Nine times in a row. <laughs> London twice. She set the world marathon record three times. She won a world championships in the marathon, but did finish second to Joan Benoit Samuelson at the 84 Olympics, so didn't get a Olympic gold in the marathon. Joni stole that from her, but her resume otherwise is unbelievable in these major marathons. Also, incidentally, was a four-time Peachtree 10K road winner, so she didn't just get it done at the marathon level on the road. At one point, she held the world records for the 3K, the 8K, the 10K, the 15K, 10 miles, and marathon. (laughs) It's pretty good. Pretty crazy. And you know what's crazy about her, too, is that, as you alluded to earlier, because women weren't allowed to run the 5,000 and 10,000 earlier, she still scored at the world level and got points on our point board at the world level in the 3K. She was a four-minute 1,500-meter runner in 1978. Like, remember when Jenny Simpson broke four? Yeah, it was a big deal. And it was like a huge, huge, That's huge pretty, deal. Yeah. This girl, she did it at an earlier age in 1978. And yeah. she went four, from four hours, four minutes all the way up. And if I think if there had been the 5,000 and the 10,000, like one of our other, our other folks that we're going to be talking about is Tiranesh Dababa, who... Got lots of her points that we're going to be talking about for her in terms of these this this goat award. She got a lot of them in the race distances that Greta didn't even get a chance to compete in. And if she had, I think we would be seeing more medals, Olympic medals, and we would be seeing more World Championship medals out of Greta. And I think that would that would 
you know that, that which is crazy to think about Chris that yeah. there would be that there could be a better resume again the only thing that's really missing from Greta Weitz's resume is an Olympic gold medal um, right. but as you'll hear from us for most of our athletes here uh, unfortunately um, that is the most elusive because the the level of competitive competition in the women's marathon and women's marathoning in those years was is, it's as high as it is now but it's just so hard to do so hard to do the and thing, they didn't have as many chances. Uh, the case for Gretovites beyond the nine times New York. In November, from November 1978 through the end of year 1979, she raced 50 times from 800 to Marathon, including two New Yorks. She won 48 out of 50 times. So not only is that prolific, like we talked about with, with, with uh, Pablo Nermi, that kind of prolific race, but also had the showed range and she won. She beat people 48 out of 50 times in that year. So prolific racer, but also wasn't afraid to do it at any distance. And she beat people. Never dodged. Went right at him. Always going at him. Fearless. But th- combine that with the fact that and I'm going to read a quote from Joan Benoit about her competitor. She said this about Greta. She said, what will endure forever is that she was able to balance a competitive career with the most gracious lifestyle and a character that emanated goodwill. Similar to Zadopek, somebody that, in addition to her time, when she was in the sport, made a difference and was gracious as a competitor, but also in her time after the sport for what she did for women's racing, what she did for for racing in Norway, what she did for cancer fighting cancer as she battled it herself I mean, she was just somebody who was always giving back and always relating to those around her and was beloved in places like new york certainly is beloved in norway because she's probably the queen there now you know she she passed away (laughs) at the age of 57 because of cancer but she was beloved in new york Uh, she was the queen of new york people will not do not understand um now the kind of love this was after during the height of the running boom, the first running boom, and really the only running boom. We've seen numbers build up, but not quite to the way it did. 1976, 1977, 1978, as Greta Weitz was just starting to get involved. She ran the New York City Marathon, I think, at like 20 years old or something like that. It, it was, was 1978. Yeah, and won in her first her first time out. Um, and you know it was such a crucial time. It's hard to think about Americans, especially New Yorkers, wrapping their arms around a quiet, sort of studious and um, serious Norwegian woman. But her graciousness and her willingness to come at it every year. And she fe- it seemed like Greta really felt like she owed something to the city. And I think the city felt like it owed something back to her. Chris, we've never seen the kind of outpouring of love for this is like the kind of outpouring of love that that folks have for their baseball heroes, like people had f- that they have for the the great Yankees players, what they had for the great Bo- uh, Red Sox players. Um, the way that you know, the base. I don't. I think that the only analogy is that baseball fan experience of their hero. And in the seven, you know, from '78 to '88, the running boom exploded, and Greta Weitz was right in the middle of it. Not as a brash, you know, you know, arrogant, you know, pointing at the wall saying she's going to win, you know, that she's going to hit the home run, but more just quietly putting 
the 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 work and and getting the results done. Um, just a phenomenal and amazing career. And anybody who hasn't followed her, they just go through and read her Wikipedia page by itself, and then go search out some of the articles that have been written about her. Um, as you said, that quote from Joan Benoit really says it all. Talking about her training for a second, there's some interesting stuff there, which is that she preferred, she didn't do a lot of interval training, actually, which, you know, had kind of become really in vogue. Started with Nermi's days, had become really in vogue with Zadopek's work and his focus on intervals. She preferred long threshold sessions. So she would do a lot of long tempo, steady type sessions that we might you know, describe and combine that with short, fast sprint sessions at least once a week to keep her tone over there. So that with, you know, 75 to 80 miles a week was about where she apparently peaked out was her formula, you know, steady 75, 80 mile weeks, long threshold work and a little bit of turnover work. Sprint sessions once a week was kind of the formula that worked for her her coach talked about how she just the longer the better she loved the long hard endurance stuff yeah i mean she's you know also she you know she and another character the other norwegian we'll be talking about spent a lot of time during their winters cross-country skiing because they didn't have the ability to run on the roads and do the kinds of things that they would would like to do but cross-country skiing is such an so similar to the running motion that um, they were able to get away with it. Her, her, her compatriot, Igrid Christensen, who we'll be talking about in a little bit, she was famous for epically hard workouts that she did in cross-country ski zone, but, but, but Greta did those as well. And so the other thing is people who look at that and say, wow, an elite-level marathoner who was running, two, I think her PR was 224 for the marathon, and she yep. broke the world record at 224. Um, how can somebody run you know, 85 miles a week and do that? Well, like Steve Jones said, on our last episode, there are people who have done the work for years and years and years and years and years that can handle doing lower volume because they keep that volume at a much, they're able to hold the intensity to get the benefit from both pieces of that. Um, and so I think Greta Greta was really good at that. Also, women, they didn't know if women could run that many miles and, and <laughs> right. keep their uterus in their body. You know, they said right. crazy things about that. So I think that yeah, this would have been unheard of volume, I think, for a female at the time. Sure. And I, it, it, it and, and she set the path to saying women can do the same things that men do that we see our other athletes that come after her. All the athletes we're talking were influenced highly and heavily influenced by Greta Bates. And I think that you'll see more aggressiveness and more training aggressiveness as we go through our athletes because of the kind of, of, of barriers that that she broke. It's it's been said, or at least the history books say, she only her longest run before the first New York was only thirteen miles. That's crazy. <laughs> and she went on to win. She said afterwards to her husband, who was there, that that never again. That was it. Yeah, <laughs> New, I York, mean, New York was supposed to be a sort of second honeymoon for them, apparently. <laughs> where she's like, "Hey, let's go to New York. We'll get a little bit of a payday and see a cool city." She hadn't really done marathon distances before anything close to it got it done won, said never again and then probably came back and won eight more times (laughs) exactly you know before we move on from greta she'll always be seared in the brain in my brain for a 
a less than um, a less than optimal scenario. I watched her one of the years that she won New York City. She she did not eat. She ate something not well, not good for her body the night before one of these races at New York City. And I remember it was on. It was televised, and I watched it as a young boy. And um, she would not stop in the run to take care of her number two issues. She defecated upon herself, and the cameras had to show her from the uh, from the, the the belly button up at, at a certain point because there was brown in places. And actually, you couldn't avoid seeing her run num- her number and her number. She had wiped her hand on it; it had poo on there. And so she was she's somebody um, who who no matter what was going to get the job done and was not going to get beaten at at New York under any circumstances. Wow. Yeah. Gracious and tough. Ridic- ridiculously <laughs> fucking tough. So that was Greta Weitz. And as you said at the beginning, the only thing missing is the Olympic gold, which would not have been. Joan, Joan Benoit was not going to be denied in L.A. in 1984, that first women's marathon. And so she stole it a little bit from her that day. But that's the only thing missing is Olympic gold. Other than that. Her resume speaks for itself. And I think if she had won the Olympic gold, um, perhaps we wouldn't be talking about these other three athletes. Because <laughs> right. it may have been, it may be the thing that would make it, in a sense, redundant. But um, but she didn't. And so that opens the door for these other ladies that we'll be talking about. So let's go there. And then we can kind of circle back as we go to rank them. We're going to be talking about Paula Radcliffe next. The great British athlete, best known for her marathon resume currently the women's world record holder at least under the old rules now that women's only world record has been taken from her which is sort of a silly rule thing for with IAAF but she's run the fastest marathon by a female ever in 215 talk about Paula's resume I mean it's crazy the funny thing about Paula is not funny is that she started really, really young. Her dad was an enthusiastic runner, um, and she and her dad was, uh, you know, he 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 was smoking cigarettes and needed to break a cigarette habit, so he started running. And Paula, pretty early on, discovered that she had anemia and asthma, terrible versions of it, very bad circumstances with it, and uh, yet she didn't stop her from basically doing everything she possibly could to. Once she got addicted to running, she went after it. At one point, there's a there's a story that at, at the age of 14, that um, she she was training so hard and was running so hard um, that she basically ran hard enough with her athletically induced asthma that she blacked out. Which I think pretty much tells you a lot about Paula Radcliffe and her future is that she was willing at a very young age to run to the edge and black out. That's that. That, that bodes well for the rest of the things that she did in her career. Her career pretty much started in 1992, and she won the World Junior Cross-Country Championships. And, Chris, two names of the people that she beat are people who we're not going to have on our top ten list, our top five here list here, but both of them, one notoriously so, and the other one um, just because of what she meant to her country, um, she beat these two women in their junior at the Junior World Cross. She beat Wang Zhuniqua, who who basically got was known later for um, the uh, doping scandals that that she never got busted for. Her world record, her her records were still on play until they recently got broken. But um, you know, she was she went and then Greta uh, 
Gediwami, who from Ethiopia, who was just probably the second or third best um, Ethiopian in all of all time, and certainly the best Ethiopian you've never heard of. But she beat them, um, and she had just like that day. She, that, I mean, that race, she'd just gotten over a pretty bad asthma attack that happened a couple of day, a couple of weeks before. So, anyways, pretty amazing. Um, and she continued in this World Cross. Uh, world championship on the track. She had some solid results but and, and, and some good performances, but not performances that really um, would put us in a position to say that she was going to be, that she would be on this list of, if she had stopped her career before 2002, Chris, we wouldn't would be talking about, uh, about Paula Radcliffe. But after 2002, when she started seriously going after the marathoning, this is what her resume looks like. She wins the London 2002 marathon in two in a world record of 2:18:17, and first time anybody had ever broken 2:20. Um, Not just broke it, crushed it. Crushed it. Uh, she then that's in the spring. In the fall of 2002, she runs a 2:17:18 to break the world record again, her own world record. In London, 2003, which is the next, so we go spring, fall, the next spring, spring 2003, she breaks the world record again, wins London in 03 in the, in the now untouchable, still currently untouchable, 215.25. She comes, she then has, gets hurt. She starts to get the, the sort of, starts to have some problems and have some issues. She doesn't run the, she was going to run the Athens Olympics, but she DNF'd, um, Mostly because she was hurt. She was taking some pain medication, some other medications that basically gave her really, really bad stomach issues. And she had to drop out of it. She tried to come back and run the 10,000 at the same meet. And she dropped out of that as well. And the entire British press eviscerated her. This is after she had just wowed them all. Well, we know the, the British press is pretty ruthless. It, they eviscerated her. She came back and won New York City. She only ran 223.10, but she won there at New York City. And we know how hard it is to run fast at that race. So, um, and then 05, she gets the world championship. She wins the world championship um, in the marathon. And then 2005, again, she runs 217.42. I mean, it's just like, it's crazy. It's just crazy that win after win after win. She was untouchable. She couldn't be beated, beaten unless she got beat herself with with bad luck as she did in the Olympic games and her, her Olympics in 2004 and 2008, both of which she was really should have won. And probably if she had won those two or even one of those, we might be talking about her as the greatest of all time because of that just amazing track record, her, her talent at the world cross level, her talent at the track level, but then combined with this unbelievable and incredibly fast, so many sub two twenties, um, no one has run the marathon like Paula Radcliffe yet to this day. No one has run as fast or as consistently as she did. We've got some who are threatening to do so, but nobody really at any level has been able to do what Paula Radcliffe did for that those couple of years at, at the marathon. And she is missing, just like Greta, the Olympic gold for sure, and really any meaningful Olympic results. I mean, she finished fourth in the 10,000 in the year 2000. Didn't do well in Athens, as you mentioned. 23rd in the marathon in Beijing. Never quite got what she wanted out of Olympic or Olympic results, but she's still got a couple World Cross golds. 
She's got she a world really championship marathon gold. In European championships yes. on the track. Showing her range from 3K up. And so still really impressive kind of track resume. If you look at a holistic track and cross-country resume, if you look at it holistically. The other thing with her, I think you also have to just look at her PRs. Yeah. Her PRs. Because 5K PR, 14.29, (laughs) right? Seriously world-class. 10K PR, 30.01. Yep. Back when that was sort of going that low is unthinkable pre Almazayana year. You know, half marathon 105.40. Absolutely world class. And then, of course, the marathon records you've mentioned. So, if you... So, she doesn't necessarily have the medals at every level at the global championship level, but she certainly has the times and has delivered in different venues from European championships to World Cross, you know, as you would expect someone who's in this conversation. Yeah, and I gave her, you know, Chris, we've been scoring this. We'll talk about her scores later for all the points that I have. But I gave Paula some probably unexpected bonus points um, as I give bonuses in certain places for these stuff. I gave her, she won three world half championships in a row at a time when the world half marathon championship was sort of taking over for world cross as a more important as marathons got to be more lucrative and people could make more money at them and people were able to plan their cycles out better, a half marathon made more sense than running a World Cross. In Greta Weitz's time, she would have gone and run World Cross no matter what. There was not a half marathon championship, but there was a really ferocious competition going on at that World Half Marathon Championships in the late 90s through the early aughts. That doesn't play out as much anymore. There's, you don't see that as a, as a, as a really valued global championship. But I gave her some points for that because of that. And then the other thing is I gave her serious bonus points um, for that world record in the marathon. I mean, it was, to this day, I think it's one of the, if not the highest point score on the IAAF scoring charts. The IAAF scoring charts are designed to basically score evenly every event that the IAAF puts on. So that's from the high jump to the long jump to the triple jump to everything else. I think Bob Beeman scored higher than she did. Her, I mean, what you're t- talking about is an aberrational, completely unforeseen and untouchable result that eventually will get caught, but was just such a step forward. And to think that she did that in 2003, and 10 years after that, nobody else, only like one or two other people had ever gone under uh, under 220, and now we only still we only have one other person who's been under 217. So. It's uh, cr- it's it's just that result to me is equal to a nearly equal to a gold medal because it's something we've never seen before and and it was taken so long for us to see again. So she gets extra bon- bonus points from me for that. And then she certainly has the depth, as you alluded to in the timeline, on the marathon major side. Three-time London winner, three-time New York winner, Chicago winner. Her last major marathon finish was in 2011 where she finished third in Berlin, (laughs) you know, in the twilight of her career. But that showed just amazing range from 2002, her first London win, to 2011. Ten years, basically, of doing the work and competing at the highest level at a time when you had all the Kenyans rushing into the marathon and folks like Catherine the Great and, you know, the other Kenyans kind of jumping in. So it wasn't like she was in... 
a time when it just wasn't very deep. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's it was it was the, the depth explosion. Was crazy. Yeah, I mean it was post Tegla Larup. I mean Pe- Tegla Larup opened the doors for, um, and then and then the, there was I forget the name of the Ethiopian. We ne- we never heard of her really again. Who, who won an Olympic gold medal? I think it was in eighty eight or or was it ninety two? One of those two years. So it really opened the door for women to women for Kenyan women and, e- and West African women, East African women to have an opportunity and a chance to be something other than than. Um, laborers and something other than um, baby factories and something other than just women in a culture that didn't value women. They were able to be seen as as, as valued sports sports people that have changed the way we look at sport. Um, and you know, there's an argument against our two 80s, uh, our two runners from the 80s because they did not have to contend with the, the African onslaught that, um, that, that really beyond a shadow of a doubt that um, Radcliffe had to deal with. But um, I have this one other thing. Since I talked about Greta Weitz and taking a shit, i got to talk a little bit about <laughs> the most, what the British press at the time voted. In 2005, the British press devoted, devoted the top-running moment in history. Okay? So in the 217.42 performance in London 05, um, Paula evidently ate something like, that that didn't as as Greta did that didn't really set well with her, but instead of just she she actually decided to stop in the midst of that race and in full view of the fans and live television, proceeded to basically take a dump on television like literally pooped right there and the the camera of course went right to it and it was funny that years later they're still calling it the greatest running moment in history. Uh, this is primo. So maybe Mo has over, overcome that, but it is, uh, you know, our runners probably love the poop talk because we've all been through it. But mm-hmm. I, I, I read that and I thought it was one of the funniest things I'd read. <laughs> yes. Unfortunately for her, she had that moment. They yeah. both have. Now. Actually, I think maybe she. that's a calling card for goats. Well, I will tell you this. I bet you Paula embraces it where I bet Greta was probably embarrassed. abashed and embarrassed about it. <laughs> but it is something to say. If you can push yourself to that point. Steve Jones did it too in London as well. He talked. Yeah, about he that did. Story. He stopped. So and he he chose a place that was a little less visible. There's something <laughs> to that. Let's talk Paula training. She was known for doing lots of miles. She was the big big 145 miles. miles a week. Yep. In her peak, and she said, or has been quoted as saying, once she got to that point, she experimented a little more, but never found that that more actually helped. But she she played with it. So she was doing. Crazy miles, 145. I mean, that's more than Kipchoge has said he does, which is more in the 110 to 120 range. So crazy mileage. She also has a lot of intensity. You know, a lot of she intensity. Says, she says that in, in her, even in her marathon buildup, she's doing a lot of 10k to half marathon pace work mm-hmm. in her longer workouts, and so she's actually going faster than threshold quite a bit. And so that was a big big deal for her to maintain her speed she also did a just she said according to her cycle she she was on an eight-day cycle but she ran four hard sessions a week <laughs> in an eight-day cycle so pretty much every other day in an eight-day cycle she's doing something hard it's not all you know a 10k to half marathon w- pace but you know quite of intensity throughout and i think she'd probably be one who would say also that she could only do that because of her years and years of work 
Yeah, I mean, you can't. You couldn't. She was also talks about how she took a nap every day at 2 p.m. that lasted for roughly two hours. <laughs> so a la the Kenyan you style. Gotta balance the speed. Apparently, she also took ice or did an ice bath after all of the hard sessions to try to aid her recovery. Was super diligent about her diet. She talks a lot in in the articles I've read about her recovery and balancing those hard sessions with the right sleep and rest and nutrition. So, not that it, any of that is a surprise. Steve, but I do think it lends credence to a lot of the stuff you build into your marathon cycles, which is making sure you keep doing that 10K and half marathon work. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 I mean, she falls into an, in a very extreme example of exactly what we do in our cycle, but she just is an extreme of the high, the, the volume of that she does. And remember, this girl got, she ran into herself into a blackout at age 14. So hard work is something she was absolutely accustomed to and um, certainly the western culture yeah, this isn't one of those arguments Chris about why do we not have more uh, up until this up until very recently why did we not have as many western cultured runners a la you could just say it white athletes at the highest levels when we saw these African runners black running so well and some of it is just cultural and the lack of ability, a lack of desire, a lack of, of capacity to do the kind of work necessary to compete. And Paula just turned that on that that apple cart over and absolutely trained like it didn't matter and like and she wouldn't listen to no, she wouldn't hear what other people had to say. And many people would have said Paula was overtraining. And you know, she did have some issues with injury, but every injury she had, she was able to get up and get over. And you look at that record from two thousand two to two thousand and eight. She's, she won, I mean, basically she won five world marathon majors in that time frame. That's pretty, that's, that's really, really incredible. So, um, you know, you got to do the work and she absolutely did it in spades. And she isn't known quite as the same gracious competitor as Vites, but is one of those that is known to be a true professional Yes, in the sport as somebody who, you know, balances the competition with with having grace in in the midst of her results so also a great hero and personality to follow although some now in today's modern day debate whether or not she was doping or not i don't want to go there so we'll, we'll save that topic for another day but also another one that was you know, doing it with absolute fierce fierceness but also doing it with grace as well only thing missing some of the vites is that Olympic resume it's in my opinion it's the thing you know it's the thing that's missing but unlike on our men's side it may not be a deal breaker for her I think um, it keeps she keeps in the conversation with that world marathon major streak and that those absolute incredible times that she ran um, she's got to be considered as one of the greatest of all time Chris even without that gold medal so Vites versus Radcliffe, neither have the Olympic gold. Which one would you give the edge at this point? I give point? it to Vites. I just think her, she's very similar to Paula in that range of speeds and talent. But Greta was faster at, at the at the shorter distance. And she did it at a time when she did it, at, you know, in 1978 versus 1992 when, when, when things weren't the same and women's opportunities weren't the same. And I think if Greta had had the opportunity to run races that were, that as Paula did at the 5,000 and the 10,000, that she would have gotten points that would have put her beyond the pale. 
Um, and 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 to say this too, the other thing that just absolutely puts it could almost by itself put Greta ahead of it. Is it the greatest women's marathon of all time? At least in my opinion, to this point, 1984, with with the most at stake. Greta got silver, and. Um, and Paula was unable to take advantage of the two windows when she was considered the best in the world. She wasn't able to get it done and even get in a scoring position or get a medal. Um, so that just, as great as Paula's accolades are, I've got to go with Greta on this one. I agree. And would also add the differentiator being of Weitz's world records at the faster distances as well. Mm-hmm. Her resume on the shorter stuff is just deeper. But, but she didn't. But Paula didn't have. Paula had to contend with East Africans in the true. way that Greta didn't. And we can't really give. Unfortunately, we can't give Paula positive points for that. But as anybody is doing the math at home, they should consider that 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 weighs. So let me give you the point total between those two. All right, on my scaling, and I scale these as I said the last time with Olympic gold medal at the top. World indoor mat and world indoor bronze at the bottom, and a whole bunch of other things. At some point, we can show our our crew where we pointed it. But Greta has 319 points on this scale, Chris, and and Paula, with me giving her serious serious points that some people might argue, I give her 50 points in places that people might not. She's at 261. So it's she's you know Greta even even without. And I don't give Greta any really bonus points. She's got almost zero bonus points. So she needs none. She didn't need them. They were there. <laughs> okay. So, but Paula is in the conversation. And for now, we'll give Greta the nod. All right, let's go to number three. And this is the one that surprised me the most, Steve, in that I'd heard the name, knew of her, but didn't quite know the depth of her resume. Ingrid Christensen, another Norwegian female running in the 80s. Talk about her resume because it's it's blown my mind as we've been talking back and forth. Yeah, I don't think you knew who she was. I, mean, I think you might have known that she was someone that you might have considered in the conversation, but you 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 kind of not to the extent that I'm learning. Yeah. So basically, this woman, um, her resume is a little hard to deal with because she did everything and she did it all the time. Chris, this is the thing that probably separates her from everybody else is that when Greta moved from the move to the marathon she did continue to dabble with world cross and she did continue to dabble with some shorter stuff but as you know after 1984 she really just stayed in one zone and ingrid christensen ran the 5,000, the 10,000, the half marathon and the marathon year round year in year out throughout her cycle she absolutely believed in running all different paces and all racing at all different levels at all times and she was absolutely ferocious and fearless in her in her her doing of it she basically um she's got a in world marathon major wins she has nine world marathon major <laughs> wins she's got a one world cross win she's got a bronze medal um in the world cross she's got world championship gold world championship bronze world records she's got two in the 5k two in the 10k two in the half marathon two in the marathon um eight world records she set basically um Incredible, incredible performances. Um, and, you know, she was fourth at the Olympic Games in that absolute famous 1984 Olympic uh, marath- women's marathon. Um, she was a little young for that. She was not quite at her peak there where Greta was at her peak and Joni was at her peak. Really, 
Ingrid was just a little bit off her peak. Still, she got fourth against Joan Benoit for the win, Greta Weitz for second, Rosa Mota, who is probably in the argument for top three or four marathoners in the history of women's marathoning, but yet isn't on our GOAT conversation because she just does not have the resume at the shorter distances. Um, you know, when and, and, and the kinds of world records that Ingrid Christensen was doing, she broke the world record for the women's 10K. In 1984, she ran 30... 50, 59. In 1986, she broke the record again in 30-13. A 45-second drop in a two-year window. That 30-13 was never touched again until Wang Janiqua and the drugs came out. It took. If that record had stood pre-post-drugs, it would have taken 25 years for anyone to break that record. She was so far ahead of everyone else. But Chris, there are two things that really put Ingrid Christensen on the map here. The first is by itself the year 1986. Listen to 1986 on this woman's resume. Boston, hot year. She wins it, 224.55, which is fast. But anybody that's run in Boston in the heat, we all know that Boston is one of the toughest courses in the world on any circumstance when it's hot. She ran incredibly fast, 224.55. She broke the world record in the 10,000. She ran that 30-13 I was talking about, which broke her own world record by 45 seconds, and no one else had gotten under 30, under 30 minutes, I mean, under 40, 31 minutes prior to that. Then she broke the 5K world record, running 14:37. Same year, she broke the half marathon world record, running 106.40. Then she came back, won Chicago Marathon, hot year, won the Chicago Marathon in 227.08. And Chris, she ends the year at the World Championships. I mean, at the at the European Championships, where they ran because they were in the in the Southern Hemisphere. She got to run the World European Championships. She won that in thirty twenty three, the second fastest time ever run by a woman, faster than forty seconds other than herself. And she did it at a championship race. Chris, nineteen eighty six by itself is by far, in my opinion, of these women that we're talking about, and by the any man standard and any standard I've ever heard of, it's the single greatest year any runner's ever had by, by a magnitude of which cannot be understood. Basically, at one time, she held the 5K world record to the marathon world record, and Chris, all at the same time. We did talk about Ingrid Christensen holding the world record for various distances, but not at the same time. 1986, if you can score it on the charts, if I could give her points, it would nearly give her like a 50 points for that. But I didn't do that. I didn't give her that extra points. But Chris, Ingrid Christensen, when she was on, absolutely unbelievable. Again, fourth, got fourth at the 84 Olympics in the marathon. I mean, and so it's really, really crazy to think about that that streak and that record and what she was able to accomplish. And she had the accolades at the World Cross Championships, she had the accolades on the track. Um, it's just unprecedented, unbelievable. Also missing the Olympic gold. Also missing the Olympic gold. But Correct. Her depth of the other things is unbelievable, and it's ten world marathon <laughs> major wins. If they're not, you know, they were running pre world marathon majors, and she won other marathons that she didn't get credit that I'm not giving her credit for, like the Stockholm Marathon, which Greta Weitz win, which was a really prestigious race at the time. Right. I mean, she ran, she ran the world, she won world European championships. I didn't, she didn't get extra points for that. Those are that was the that was those races mattered more in that day and age before the marathon majors got to pay out so much. So in some ways, Greta, I mean Ingrid Christensen is even underrated. If it's if it's even possible, she's underrated. Um, and to me, it's just 
I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't I don't know. It's just crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> Holding those world records is certainly the biggest thing. At one time, it's certainly the biggest thing on her resume. She was also an, an eight-time national champion in cross-country skiing. Yes. She so had another whole world she that she lived a, in. A different world. I was doing some research on her training in the wintertime. <laughs> she did in the summer. She did. She averaged between 110 and 120 miles a week running. But in the wintertime, she would do treadmill work in the morning inside and then she would do cross-country skiing in the afternoon for her second session so i'm just going to read a couple like a, a wednesday thursday friday schedule for her during some of her peak training in the winter months in norway so wednesday treadmill 50 minutes at six minutes per mile in the morning 90 minutes cross-country skiing in the afternoon Thursday, treadmill, one hour, first 30 minutes at 610 to 630 per mile, last 30 minutes at 520 <laughs> on a treadmill. <laughs> Afternoon, 90 minutes cross-country skiing, skiing, plus 15 minutes of jumping, plyometric exercises. Friday, treadmill, 55 minutes at 6 minutes per mile with 5 times 100-meter strides. I'm assuming she found a way to do those outside or inside somewhere. Then 90 minutes cross-country skiing, plus 15 minutes of plyo again. On Friday. So it's like treadmill, cross-country skiing to maintain her base. And Chris, I think that Ingrid Christensen was the first person who really... She was a scientist at heart. She understood the science of the sport. I think she's the first athlete who was sort of... And I think she was self-coached through most of this time. I don't think that she had a coach or maybe her husband coached her. But it was basically a program that she was absolutely instrumental in creating and, and using. And she was the first athlete at that level to do the plyos, the calisthenics, the jumping, the skipping, the hopping. She gets on in the weight room. She talks about the work that she does in the weight room. She did a lot of hill strides. She did a lot of hill strides. She was ahead of the game in terms of trying to use every squeeze out of her, the 1% stuff, Chris. Ingrid Christensen squeezed all of that out of herself um, and and did it in a way. Now, you know, Greta was known as being this amazing, well-loved person, Ingrid Christensen sort of fits in that Pavo Nermi camp of hugely impactful, but a but a bit of a pill, a little bit hard to take, and was exceedingly exceedingly arrogant because her style was I will work harder than everybody else in the world and I will get those results, and so she wasn't as beloved internationally with her competitive zeal as as Greta Weitz was, but I would say that she and Paula were probably relative equals in terms of their impact on on their own country in terms of the kind of a kind of way that people viewed them and the, and and how they hold them in high esteem. I mean and and, and unfortunately for Ingrid Christensen as she came right after Greta Weitz, probably misunderstood in her time and probably not given the kind of credit nationally as she accepted, but that could have been one of the things that really spurred her to do the kind of running that she did and have the kind of success that she did. Well, yeah, I mean I think part of it her personality didn't leave her as beloved. So as a result, she didn't quite get the recognition that she deserved right. throughout her career. Which is maybe one of the reasons why you didn't know who she was because yeah. it was easy to, to push some of that stuff under the table and not view it. So well, Yeah, and it, and it goes back to men writing history books, unfortunately, which is that if a, absolutely. Woman, if a woman comes off a little bit rough, she's a bitch and nobody wants to talk about so her. So true. And so... Not that it's a true statement. It's true right. that people view it's it that true. way. Yeah. yeah, so people view it that way. And as a result, her story hasn't been told. But as I got to 
her resume and now listening to you go through it, I'm starting to get very conflicted about which is the best. Let me give you one more thing. Yep. Her London, she ran at London to break the world record in 2.21.06, Chris. So, yes, Benoit had run 2.23, which was a huge jump when Joni did it, right? It, it really was a game changer. But when Christensen did it, she dropped it another level down. And that, I mean, to think about it now, 2.21.06, in the same years that she's able to run, that in the same year that she's able to run 30.30 and 14.37, it's just crazy mind-boggling how well how, what that what that all is and the other thing chris is fourth at the olympic games in that year that greta Weitz got second so i'm conflicted too about who the greatest norwegian is which basically means we're saying who's the best in the world who was the greatest of all time is it could christensen overcome that lack of a gold medal you know in 88 in 88 she broke she chose not to run the marathon she, i don't think her training had gone to the way that it needed but she was pretty convinced that she could win the gold medal in the 88 in the 10,000. Think about that, Chris. If she'd won the gold medal in 88 in the 10,000, I think we would both look at each other and say, we've got to give it to her. Well, she had to drop out because she broke her foot in the middle of the race. There's a, I think you could appreciate yeah. that. <laughs> right. She was ready, and, it lo- and, and, and the way that race played out, there was no question who was going to win the race. And, if she, and, and so she was just, I think that happened at the eighth or the ninth lap. So she was literally 20 minutes away from solidifying in our pin, in my opinion at least as absolutely being the greatest of all time um so i don't know what do you think well, now that you've heard all this she also ran up against the east german and chinese bud the saws drug, with yes. steroids and all of that became yes. crazy in the 80s and early 90s and you were having just some obscene things happening on the track that shouldn't have ever happened correct you know women taking testosterone in ways that marginalized maybe the true talent so she got maybe something stolen from her if we really went back and looked and started striking out questionable names from the record books so i don't know um i think gosh i still my my heart i guess is still pulling my my (laughs) device because of the the depth of her results in the majors and the fact that she also, even though not at the same time held world records from three K to marathon, didn't have the same, didn't have Olympic results like Christensen, but does have that silver in 84. But I'm telling you, it's neck and neck. It's neck and neck. So what are you saying? Who are you going to pick? Who are you going to give it to? I'm, I'm still going with fights, but well, I'm with you. I but agree, I'm, but I'm I am with you. With but Christensen deserves to be in this conversation. No doubt. Christensen is ahead of, Radcliffe by a by a pretty significant margin, so Christensen's points on my point schedule, which Chris, I only gave her twenty five bonus points. I probably should have given her another twenty five on top of that for nineteen eighty six by itself, um, which would have put her ahead of Gretovitz on the point schedule. So, um, but I have them at two two ninety eight to two eighteen. I mean to two ninety eight to three eighteen with Greta winning, and I think that really that difference maker. Is that gold medal? That twenty extra points that 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 the uh, the fifteen extra points that she gets for that that Olympic silver medal that sort of pushes me over the end. But at the end of the day, Chris, the greatest of all time must be a champion for the people for it to win for them to win for me. And even though I think Ingrid got it was the wrong wo- the wrong woman at the right time or the wrong woman at, the right woman at the wrong time or something like that. It just, Greta's 
was loved. The fact that she could be the queen of New York for 10 years and the fact that she was the Olympic silver medalist and all the other things that she did, I still have Greta getting it, but by by the hair of her chinny-chin-chin, she barely dips at the line to get her. And most of that is probably due to Ingrid's not getting that gold medal in 88 and also just not having the love of the people. I think that's an important part of, of what it takes to be um, the greatest of all time. Now, if we if we incorporate that, Steve, then we may have to go back and talk about Bekele again because I'm not sure that he's the runner for the people, but... But but but, but the problem is so hi- highly so far and away above. Gibra Selassie's results did not put him in the same category, right. and the category the points total is too divergent in that case, in my opinion. I got you. It could be a tiebreaker, but right, it could be a tiebreaker, but it can't be the thing. Fair enough. Yep. So Ingrid Christensen, hats off, much respect. I did not expect to have you neck and neck with Greta Weitz in this conversation, but she is. And I I hope our listeners will go back and do a little research and, um, well well. Well, Greta Weitz is not with us anymore. Ingrid Christensen is. And um, it's just, I just think that the kind of success, the thing, if she were a man, we would still be talking about her in ways that, that you know, would be considered the greatest of all time on the men's side. Because at this point in time, I put Greta Weitz and um, Ingrid Christensen ahead of um, the men, honestly. Yeah, I think you're right. All right, so our our last goat potential. The one that throws a whole wrinkle in all this. This one's, yeah, this one's interesting and tricky, but Tiranesh Dababa still competing, just like Bekele. Resume's not complete, but man, is it impressive so far. (laughs) And in the midst of a really impressive family. But Tiranesh Dababa, she's got. Other than the marathon majors, she's got all the pieces. <laughs> and maybe some a little bit on the world records, but Olympic gold, three. As well as three Olympic bronzes. She's got five world cross, sorry, four world cross golds, two silver, five world championship golds, one silver. So altogether, she has 18 global championship medals, <laughs> Olympics, world championships, world cross. Against the best in the Against world. Against the best in the best. If you, if you go to her Wikipedia page, it actually shows her head-to-head record across world champs, diamond leagues, against the best names, the Defars. And yeah, I lost like the, three hours the going Paula through Radcliffe that. The Paula of the world. <laughs> I mean, she has just basically d- dominated every good distance runner in the last... 20, 20 years or so. And and head to head. Head to head. So let me give you this. In all th- the big meets. I know this is your lead, but I just want to say, we all these other women we're talking about, they made multiple Olympic teams. I think Greta Weitz made four Olympic teams and would have had a fifth if they, she had, they'd gone to the, Olympi- to the Olympics. This is crazy, though. Timranesh Dababa was at the 2000 Olympics, the 2004 Olympics, the 2008 Olympics, the 2012 Olympics, the 2016 Olympics, meddled in almost all of them, and still has the chance and i think you and i would say 2020 is arguably one of the top three that we would consider to be a medalist at and a chance to be a gold medalist so there's a chance that she could go to her seventh olympic (laughs) she's only still only 32 it's crazy at least least so the records show who knows sometimes these east africans you never know their true age but allegedly she was born in 1985 that would be her excuse me her sixth Olympiad. She's been at five. She has a chance to go to a sixth. So, thir- 
She's only 32, so she still has, and, and so the, and so as a result of all of that dominating, they call her the baby-faced destroyer, which, as you the said c- yesterday when we were talking about it, is like the best nickname ever. It's the greatest nickname ever. The baby-faced destroyer. She's a, she has no trouble to, uh, just going after people. Now, she's still relatively new to the marathon, but she's run 217.56 in London to finish third this year. She won Chicago. She was second at London, right? Was it second? To Katani. I think yes. she was second okay, for her. So but second she did run 217. First in Chicago, where she basically ran away from that field after halfway. She's still the current world record holder in the outdoor 5K on the track. Yeah. 14.11, which is crazy. And she's had success at all levels. I was looking at her her PRs from the two miles to the marathon. She is no slower at all major levels from, you know, two mile, 5K, 10K, half marathon, marathon. She's no slower than fifth fastest all time <laughs> at every single level from the two mile up. And so, you know, and she's still the fastest 5K record holder out there. So, Crazy depth at all world championships levels. Her marathon depth isn't quite there yet, but really she just moved there. And so... Her first one was 2014. And so Chris, let's tell them, London, 2014, she runs debuts, 220.35, and she's third. You could say ho-hum, right? But who did she get beat by? She was... Four, Edna Kiplagat won. She was only 14 seconds behind her. Florence yeah. Kiplagat was second. She was only 11 seconds behind her, and that was her debut. And we're talking about the two who would we would be listing as potentially greatest marathoners of all time. Those two would definitely be in that conversation. And her debut, she loses to them by less than 15 seconds on her debut. You know, it's crazy. It's like that's <laughs> so, in a lot of ways, for me, she has the most impressive all-around resume. She's got the times. She's got the medals. She's got Olympic gold. And... You know, she has the world, ma- or the world major marathon win in Chicago. Maybe doesn't have the depth there yet, but probably has another at least three, four years if she wants it of chasing podiums there. So in a lot of ways, it's hard to categorize her against the others, especially because she's done this against the best of the best. I mean, not that. Greta and Ingrid and Paula weren't competing against stout fields, but the fields now are deeper than ever on the women's side, and Tiranesh is beating them all. Yeah, and mark my words, there were drugs in the 80s, right? That was the heyday and the beginnings of what became EPO, but I don't think that you would be talking about Ingrid and Veitz in that category necessarily, but we do know that they were racing against, if you look at the shorter distance races all during that time, um, Chris, they were dominated by the Russians and the Eastern Europeans. Dominated in a way that it was like, you was drugs, 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 no matter what. You know what I mean? And so, um, and then if you look at Paula, Paula was running at a time when drugs were especially rampant. And, um, you know, th- there's this drug question that comes up for other, it's equal to me as being the people that they're racing against are all questionable. Are they questionable? I don't know because I don't really want to go there. But I'm confident that you're getting the best against the best, and Tiranish Dababa is surely um, 
I'm not going to give her any negative points for all that. That's for sure. The only thing missing, I guess, would you could say would be her world major kind of depth of results and maybe a marathon world record, which the others have had. But, yeah, they have. But, you know, they are done with their careers, Chris. You know, they're done. She's 32 years old. She has this resume at 32 years old. Yeah. It's a little bit scary. You know, also, let's think a little bit. Let's give a little context. Unfortunately, we didn't start this podcast during the 2016 Olympic Games. I was in Rio. I wasn't in the stadium when they when that women's 10,000 meter was run. But inarguably, the greatest 10,000 meter race that's ever been run by men or women, in my opinion, was run on that day with um, whatever her name is, Ayana, Ayana. just breaking the world record, which is a known drug world record by 30 plus, 40 plus seconds. Um, and, you know, Tiranesh Dababa was third in that race, dipped under 30 minutes, and and she only gets, like, little tiny points on my scale for that. You know what I mean? She gets, like, three points or something for that. And, still got and, a world record herself. And still got a, broke the world it, record, but, but got beat. Get credit, yeah. Right. And, and ran in the greatest, rev- and ran under 30 minutes. And it's like, sorry, you only get five points out of that. So we kind of weigh that in. I don't know. You know, it's, it's, it's really questionable. I, you know, at this point in time, I can't give it to the Baba, right? I just can't. Right. But I'm pretty confident. She has a chance to get it. That there. she's going to get it. If she just... I just, you know, she she chose at a, at, a, at a, this is the other thing, a lot of really highly intelligent life and running management has been done by her, much smarter than her sister, uh, Jinzebe, the one we everybody knows about. And by the way, in this research, I don't know if you went back and noticed, her older sister, yes. I don't know how you say her name, it's E. Koyana or something right. like that. Yes, also she was like pretty impressive. Absolutely. She would, she's incredibly impressive. In fact, I think that at this point in time, she may be the second best of the family given Jinzebe's current absolute folding but so anyway my point was that though by the way did beat her older sister many many times over and over and over and over but Tiranesh chose in 2015 in a year that she could have probably even padded this resume a little bit more she knew that she wanted to be a mom and so she made the hard choices and did the things that she needed to to get that managed and handled and has come back from that in a position where she won two world marathon majors and sub and, and nearly world, really close to getting down to those world records, um, it's pretty impressive. And I think that because I see that, Chris, I'm like, she knows what she's doing. She did the thing that she needed to do to make sure that she was happy for her lifelong. But she's also really committed to this sport, and she's not done yet. There are serious things to get done. Yes, and I think if you pit her against Vites, it's close. She's not quite there yet but she might be within a few years and maybe even by 2020. I, I think she's, I, I think if I, I'm going to give it to Vites with Ingrid Christensen really close behind, then I'm going to put right behind that Tiranesh Dababa neck and neck with them. But, but probably, you know, not, not in the same, not exactly the same. And then Paula just a little behind them. And I, it's pretty clearly Chris, that those are our four best in the world. You know, we know you and I talked a little bit about where Americans might sit in this context. Since on the women's side, you know, we have some real arguments for women being in this discussion of greatest of all time. In fact, one of them, Joan Benoit, was on our list of top four, really, until I started talking to you about Ingrid Christensen and going back and saying, you know, we really need to talk about this person. Um, and then immediately we were like, well, that's yes. a done deal. There's yeah. no way you can wait the Olympic gold medal and the and the marathon. 
at, at enough a weight in right. that first one to get to get the points necessary. Joni was a marathoner, and that's pretty much how she stayed. And she's in the conversation for greatest of all time female marathoner, but not female distance runner. That's correct. I, that, that's what I would say. I think that she's um, done some incredibly amazing things. The world record that she ran in 1983, Chris, I mean— she broke the world record at the Boston Marathon Boston. in that we've talked about that in one of our other episodes where she just literally took the watch off and ran by feel. People were looking at her like I think she was at sub 220 pace for a while. I think we talked about somewhere in that basic range when she went through. I think she went through the halfway in 110 something. Yeah. I mean, it's like that day was incredible. And, you know, from an American standpoint, what she's done is just mind boggling. She's got four world marathon major wins. She's got two, three um, thirds in those. She was this. This is crazy, Chris. This is something many people won't know. And we're talking about Joan Benoit. Joan here. Benoit here. Seven times she qualified for the women's Olympic marathon trials. <laughs> the women's, uh, the U.S. Olympic marathon trials for women. Seven times, and she missed it. Twenty-eight years. She missed it on her last time in two thousand for two thousand twelve by a minute and fifty seconds. And I think she was fifty-two freaking years old, and she ran nearly i think 246 or 247 at 52 years old like you know there's a lot of ways for us to all argue the true and epic importance um on the women's running scene of joan benoit but you know i was talking in the 300 range for all these women and Joni on my scale even with me giving her 50 points for the olympic gold medal win on top of the 30 points that she gets for it being a gold medal which is overly pointing She's still like at 130 points. So she's just she's she just doesn't there. have the she, she just doesn't have it. She did beat fights head to head. She beat Christensen head to head in a major marathon. So she's got some scalps on the marathon side. And if we were having this question about marathon only, she'd be in the discussion. But it's not. No. Nope. So she's not. And but going back to that to wrap up the goat conversation, as we were alluding to at the end, I think Vites is number one. Her depth of results across all levels and the length of time she did it as well as the world record she held and as you said her grace in doing that puts her at the top and the olympic silver medal i think is the real is to me is the cherry that breaks inger christensen's in my opinion better better pure running results right while i give her the vote for being the queen of new york new york and the nine-time champion in new york you know just it's just that that heavy weight of of Greta Weitz's the heaviness of what she did and what she meant meant to women's running and what she meant to running in general just have to beat Ingrid Christensen's probably better pedigreed resume. And we'll see with the babyface destroyer Debaba. I'm voting she for her. She has a chance to get there with a few key results over the next few years, which could take her from second or third depending on how you rank it to that number one spot so we will see but there you go those are in our minds the four greatest women of all time with Greta Weitz getting the the gold medal on our podium of the greatest female distance runner of all time go google those names pull up some articles check out some of the videos learn about those four names because their stories haven't been told as well as they should yeah and absolutely Folks, if you don't think that if you don't agree with us, if you think that maybe you've got an argument for some other folks, or you think somebody that Ingrid should be in front of Gretevites or Tyrannus should be given that credit now, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear what you think, who you think the greatest of all time are. 
is. And um, I'm excited about the future episodes that we'll be doing on this yeah, we'll goat be talking, topic. We'll be focusing on U.S. athletes next. Yes. Kind of goats across the U.S. pantheon of distance runners. So thank you, as always, for listening. This has been episode 52, 53 of the Running Rogue podcast. As always, you can check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.